us, including me. They didn't beat us. We beat them. And for every one of us, every one of us who went through that has not only lived to tell, but also is a hundred times more committed because we know in the end, whatever attempts that they make to try to intimidate us, whatever attempts they try to make to scare us and to push us to the back of the bus, to silence us, to make us afraid to walk through UC Berkeley campus. Oh, we're not gonna go to the back of the bus. That's right. We are not. And we are not gonna be forced into subservience or enslavement or subordination of any kind. Because we stand on the shoulders of generations of people who came before us who fought too hard to make this a public university. A university where if you're black or Latino or an immigrant, where you shouldn't just be relegated to serving the food or cleaning up after the rich, privileged white people, yeah. but where we should be have the right to walk through this campus and sit in the same classes. People of all races, and we are proud to be Latina, Latino, Muslim, Arab, Asian, Native American, white, black, mixed, you name it, right? Together, men, women, lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans. We're proud to be people of any and no religious background or affiliation. And this is the time where we've got to not this is a time where every time you felt like you couldn't say something, when that person ridiculed you or your friend because of their accent, where every time you were made to feel like you were a piece of meat because you were a woman, and that what was somewhere down here was more important to stare at than your eyes or what was going on in your brain, or where our words are relegated to ridicule or to being accused of not even knowing the truth of this society and this world. Every single time where we held in that growl or that roar, don't hold back tonight. Tonight is our night. So we gotta say it loud and we gotta say it clear. Milo Yiannopoulos is not welcome here at UC Berkeley. We are going to shut him down and we're going to get Trump out by any means necessary. So people, other people would like to speak.
niggas in clan robes Sexist, racist, homophobes Aryan nations in hammer skins You can wear my nuts on your Nazi chins Just what exactly are the great historical accomplishments of your race that make you proud to be white? Capitalism? Slavery? Genocide? Sitcoms? This is your fucking white history, my friend. So why don't we start making a history worth being proud of and start fighting the real fucking enemy? Swastikas and clan robes. Sexist, racist, homophobes. This one's for the master race. My brown power ass in your white power face! Hello, and welcome to the Weekly Review! This is Roman. We're here from Mutiny Radio. It is Friday, February 3rd, 2017. It's been quite a year. There's a lot to get through uh, on this show. Thanks, everyone, for listening in. Thanks, for everyone, for getting out there in the streets, if you're able, and for people for putting out the word and doing what you can. There's a lot of things that people are debating, which I personally feel should not be up for debate. And that's kind of the treatment of Nazis and uh, white supremacists. And perhaps that's why we're in the place that we're in right now, is that for quite a long time, people have just been letting things slide. Uh, White supremacists have been infiltrating law enforcement and government forever, for a very long time. And now we're at this place when people are saying, hey, how did this happen? Or, oh, I don't know if we should really combat this with violence or or property damage. Uh, I don't know. And to me, that seems to be really fucking problematic because it's this kind of attitude. That's why we're here where we are right now. And I feel like there's just as much, I guess, pointing pointing blame isn't going to help the situation at all. I think it's really crucial, though, that we do, I just extend gratitude to the people who have stepped up and spoken out and taken action. So start off the show with playing a, a sound clip from the protest that happened at UC Berkeley uh, this past Wednesday on February 1st, and that was a teacher that was Yvette Falarka, who um, talk about, there's that idea of, you know, actions and not words, who went to Sacramento, this was last year, and fought Nazis, uh, physically fought them. Fucking awesome. And those words, which are so true. And so there's, oh, I don't even know where to begin exactly, and I want to get as much here as possible. And I also want to make, pe- make sure people realize, and I guess a lot of folks who listen to this show are people who are maybe on, you know, preaching to the choir, but also just a reminder that the media narrative is not on the side of protesters. It's not on the side of the people. It's very sensationalistic. I was watching a lot of the live stream that was presented from BuzzFeed News from the protests, and a lot of it was focusing on Black Bloc, and I have respect for Black Bloc, and I support a lot of their tactics. And they got the event shut down, first of all, which is fucking great, and that was the whole point. And also, for people to think as if this somehow came out of nowhere, there are many of us, there are students, there are faculty, community members for over a month who are asking the chancellor, asking people at Cal to cancel Milo Yiannopoulos' talk. We can go and talk about, I mean, it's so frustrating to have to go back and talk about the details of it, but we can talk about how he outed and sexually harassed trans student at Wisconsin. We can talk about how a protester was shot in the stomach in Washington. We can talk about how in New Mexico and as at Cal, he was planning to name undocumented students and post the phone numbers for ICE for folks to call up to have undocumented students deported. Now, 
I'm of the opinion that this should be fucking shut down by any means. And he actually got off quite easy by just having this thing canceled and having people tag his bus. He got off pretty fucking easy, given all the harm and damage that he has not only done himself, but has encouraged others to do. Anyway, people are upset. We're to where to start. Anyway, so people have been going on for over a month to try to, you know, there's this idea that, oh, uh, property damage. Okay, first of all, people try to fucking prevent, people try to prevent this talk from happening. If the talk had been prevented, if the talk hadn't happened in the first place, people wouldn't have been out there protesting. If the administrators at the school had listened to students, some of whom received death threats, if they had listened and said, wait, this dude's pretty problematic, let's not have him on campus, then the protest wouldn't have happened in the first place. Next up, let's talk about the property damage. ATMs. Okay, if you're crying about a fucking broken ATM, please, I, I don't know what to even do. I don't even know what to do. The idea that somehow property damage is equivalent to a human being being harmed is, that's, I just can't, it doesn't, compu- does not compute, does not compute. I don't know where your empathy is at. And this idea like, oh, it's gonna make protesters look bad. And yeah, I get that in an ideal world, um, yeah, of course, nonviolence is great. And yes, silence. And there's a lot of ways to protest. Also, there's a lot of tactics, too. There's a lot of ways you can do it. No one's telling you that you have to go break something. Th- that's not the thing. You're not, no one's making you do this. And it, it feels very frustrating that people are kind of standing back from the sidelines saying, oh, this was wrong that you did this. It's making us look bad. Um, well, I think the human race looks pretty bad that we're in this spot right now. And instead of focusing on the, the quote unquote violence or the property damage done by like black block folks, why not focus on the violence that's been, been done by the fucking police force, for instance, for a very long time. Cops had their guns pointed at students. People were arrested and tear gas was used. How is that not a bigger story than a bank window being smashed? You can replace a window. You can't replace a person. Oh. You know, I'm recovering from a cold, and I thought I might be coming in here and being like, oh, I, I'm going to need some assistance or to get my fire back. And I've been doing a lot of typing, which is not, you know, with using one's voice is a little bit different. And it feels good to get it out there. And there's been a lot of debates going on, whether or not it's okay to punch a Nazi. And my question is, if not now, when? And again, I'll go back to the, this idea that, of course, education is great. If we could all sit everyone down, if everyone was down for like listening and having a discussion, um, then that would be great. That would be ideal. But people are not down for that. People are, there's an uptick in hate crimes. It's happening here in San Francisco. It's happening across the country. We have people in the government, like even more than usual, who are pushing forward their really fucked up agenda, really reprehensible agenda that is actively harming people. It's separating families. It's horrible how how does one how does one resist and i don't really appreciate this idea of oh well just let the law come in and handle it because a lot of us the the thing is that the law doesn't protect everyone it only protects a very few select people and also one could also say what's the thing is also what's legal isn't always what's moral uh you know hitler was fucking elected you know you, you can have people in power and have the law be on their side and that doesn't mean that it's right and also, there was a great meme going, there's, I mean, I hate to rely on memes, but also just sometimes it proves a point when people say, oh, why couldn't you just be peaceful? And then they show, there's the, the photo of, from UC Davis from years ago of the cop who was pepper spraying students in the face. The students were just sitting down and a cop sprayed them in the face. 
So it's not like we're going up against someone who's nonviolent. It's not like, oh, we're bringing in the violence. It's not like it originated with us. It's self-defense. And if not now, then when? When do we bring it in if we can't bring it in now? That's the question. And again, no one's saying that you have to do it. I'm not out there with my fucking fists up. If folks want to go up there with their fists up and protect me, please. I am grateful for that. I am thankful for that. I'm not going to say, no, don't protect me. And it's also, it feels very, I mean, I guess it's like also a privileged conversation. It's a conversation, but like it comes from a, a standpoint of there's a lot of folks, a lot of folks who have been facing oppression their entire lives based on the bodies they've been born into. So this is nothing new for a lot of people. And I think some people are finally now beginning to wake up and realize that. And I feel like we should also be listening to those folks to like lead the conversation and to lead us in terms of what's happening and how to react. Because it's not like this is a new thing. Like suddenly there are people in power who are hurtful and harmful. This has been ongoing. Just because there's been a Democrat in the White House doesn't mean people have been hurt, haven't been hurt. It doesn't mean that we haven't been bombing other countries and people haven't been deported and there hasn't been mass incarceration. And people haven't been like living in poverty. This has been ongoing. And now I think more and more people are waking up. And that's one argument, too, is also if a Democrat had been elected and some of the same policies or similar policies, I don't, granted, I don't think they would be to this extreme. If some of these same policies were moving forward, would there be this kind of reaction? And I think that there is this kind of reaction because we totally find this candidate and his cabinet very reprehensible, and it's motivated a lot of people. And I think we also, and I myself am accountable for this too, and I've never voted for any president who's ever been elected. I don't think that'll ever happen in my lifetime. This just doesn't work out that way. Is that there has been, in terms of like surveillance and giving the government even more and more powers over time, it hasn't been questioned. And that's part of the, the quote-unquote liberal, that's part of the liberal's... I don't know if I'm, am I part of that? I'm more on, I I don't even know what, I don't want to necessarily put myself inside any any type of category, but part of it has just been with the, oh, if it's not harming me, then I don't need to speak up about it. And that's kind of where we're at, where we're at right now. And I don't mean to like shake my, put my finger to anyone because I myself am in that. Like I haven't spoken up as much as I could. So I myself am guilty of that too. And I think it's really important that it's not just like suddenly, on January 20th, you know, folks woke up and were like, oh my gosh, things are messed up. Things have been progressing that way for a very long time. I think since before a lot of us got here. Hell, I mean, let's look at the land that we're on, right? It's stolen land. And what have what has been done to give it back? So, there we go. So, opened up the show with a speech. And then went into some good music. Some good anti-fascist music. And that was by Propagandi with... The only good fascist is a very dead fascist. And uh, yeah, desperate times call for desperate measures. And we can all debate here and there, you know. But the, the question is, though, for folks who are not into the punching Nazis thing, and again, no one's saying you have to punch it. We're just saying that if folks want to do it, by all means. The idea is like, when, when do you step up then? If not now, then when? What are people waiting for? Are you waiting for people to gather even more in the streets? Are you waiting for even more folks in the government to pass even more restrictive laws? What are, what are people waiting for? What's going to be that? Are you going to wait till your neighbors get rounded up, which they kind of people right now are? What are people waiting for? So again, you don't have to do it, but don't stand in the way of those who are. That feels much better to say. That feels a lot better to say. 
And the thing is, like, we also know we're not alone, but it is really frustrating. And that's, I've seen a number of folks who have been saying what's more startling is not a friend who was at, a number of people were at the protest. The idea, it's not so much the white supremacists that they're arguing with, it's the people who are kind of giving them leeway. The people who would, quote unquote, would be on our side. I don't know why I said, quote unquote, doesn't make any sense in this situation. But the people who are on our side and are still giving them, oh, well, let them speak. Just let them speak. Let them try to, you know, harm people. When do you stop that? And if someone was coming after you, wouldn't you kind of want people to stop it? If someone was was sending you death threats, if someone was threatening to have you deported, if someone was asking folks to sexually harass you, wouldn't you be like, hey, um, you can't just be like, hey, let's have a debate about why this is wrong. People don't have a fucking conscience. And with people who don't have empathy and a conscience, you can't, it's, it goes beyond this idea of like, let's sit down and have a debate. They're not willing to have a debate. If they were, I'm sure many of us would be down for that, but they're not. And there's also an uptick in hate crimes. I have known people who have been assaulted in the past. I mean, I know people, but I mean, who, I mean, that's a thing. So many people have fucking been assaulted. And it also might be like the, the circles that we travel through. And if you happen to be a bunch of, in many marginalized communities, odds are you have faced harassment and abuse in many aspects of your life, whether it's through law enforcement or through authority figures or just walking down the street. It's not anything new to a lot of people. And there's an increase in it. So I think people need to really pay attention to the folks who are speaking up. It's not like, oh, hey, I really need attention. Let me speak up about this. It's fucking serious. People are afraid. And to come in with this kind of liberal attitude, this like, oh, I'm sure it's not that bad, or oh, let's give them a chance. No, this is, again, this is what got us here. This is why we're here. It's people giving them a chance. And now this is what, ha- what has happened. People have been angry for a really long time. And instead of using that anger to, to attack the oppressive forces, instead it's being used to attack other marginalized folks. And we cannot have that. We have to have that stop. So we have to aim back, aim that upwards. That's a theme of the show. It's been a theme of the show for three years, and that's become even more and more solidified as the show has gone on. <sighs> the phone lines are open. Please give us a call. 415-550-0511. If you're at the protest, curious to hear your thoughts, your ideas. And yeah, people have a lot of ideas and definitely want to welcome that. So please do give us a call. 415-550-0511. There's a lot of news stories, a lot of people protesting, which is wonderful. Uh, Comcast folks, I want to say a thousand, but that might be me not telling the exact truth. At least hundreds of Comcast employees, excuse me, were protesting in Philadelphia. So we can get to that story. That's pretty awesome. Um, Many, uh, yeah, many um, folks, uh, especially folks working in bodegas, uh, went on strike in New York City and they were protesting as well. So we're seeing a lot of this. Also, the air, I mean, how. How does one even get to everything in the in the that happened in the past week? It feels like every day there's there's something and there's a lot of protests and that's wonderful, and it's also really crucial for folks to recognize. Ooh, I know what I'm going to read next. It's for folks who are joining for the first time, and I think it's great that there's more and more people joining, and it's also very very important to recognize that people have been doing this for their entire lives. People have been doing this since before a lot of us got here. There's a lot I need to still learn. I'm constantly learning, making mistakes, wanting to look up, 
to the folks who've been here before. And for folks who are maybe going to their very first protest or thinking about going, or even if you've been going for a few years, just really, really crucial things is to like listen to the people who've been doing this their entire lives. Because we're standing on the shoulders of giants. It's not like someone just popped out and, hey, let's do this march. Let's do the women's march. Let's do this march. This has been going on for centuries. This has been going on for like, a long time. So we really need to look at the folks who have been doing this for a long time. Is centuries accurate? See, I don't even know for sure. I would hope so that people have been getting, yeah, people have been getting up for a long time. But again, this goes back to the idea also of how history has been taught. And there's another article I will hopefully get to, and that's kind of how the media makes us turn against protesters. It makes people feel like they're not powerful, that they're wrong. They'll focus the attention on the acts of vandalism. And again, I was responding to someone who hadn't seen the live stream of them, you know, so Chase, which was a fucking Nazi bank, they collaborated with the Nazis, so fuck Chase Bank, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, these big banks that are also funding the fucking pipeline. So whatever your political affiliation is, if you drink water, if you drink water on this planet, how can you defend the pipeline being built? How can you defend a pipeline being built? If you drink water. So it doesn't matter what your political affiliation is, is, you know, you can have all the jobs you want, but if there's no fucking water to drink, you're shit out of luck. Okay. So these banks being attacked. Who gives a fuck? They're banks. They're bank windows. These are, this is exactly what we're fighting against. So, okay. I got, I shed no tears for big banks getting their windows smashed. No tears at all. And then someone went into someone, some folks went in, they smashed a window at Starbucks. I'm not too worried about Starbucks, I don't, I'm not worried about their brand. I'm not worried about uh, whether I'm, I guess my only concern is like, okay, someone's going to have to clean that up. And unfortunately, it's not going to be someone in an super upper management. If the CEO had to clean it up, that would be interesting. I'd be like, okay, cool. It sucks. Yeah, that a worker is going to have to clean up that mess. However, again, I don't feel bad about a Starbucks. I don't feel bad. I don't feel bad about a big business, a huge global business getting their window smashed. And I was, I was typing about this. Um, and again, I don't feel bad about it. I don't. There's a lot of things to feel bad about. I feel bad about people being attacked by cops. I don't feel bad about a Starbucks getting its windows broken. That's, you know, you got to pick your battles. I'm not defending Starbucks. That's not one of my battles today. So anyway, I was typing, a friend hadn't seen all, the entire live feed. So the, the, the journalist was also, he was like super obsessed with it. Antifa. And he's like, these are Antifa. They are. And I appreciate the journalist being there, so I don't want to make fun of him, but I'm also like, he was just like, so like, they're, I guess he had never heard of anarchists before, or, and he was like, they're, they're covered in all black, and they're wearing, it was like this very, it was like a National Geographic, as if someone was like, out in the wild, like, and they're, they're breaking, they're breaking glass, and they seem to be, and it was just very much like, I don't know, I, I like, I sometimes like when people just are there, and they can record, and not comment on it if they don't if they aren't necessarily sure about what they're talking about anyway it was just it was like oh my gosh and also i kept on commenting follow the cops look at what the cops are doing look at what the co- look, look at the violence that the cops are doing not folks smashing windows because the, the cops are the ones who are being paid to quote-unquote protect the people and we see time and time again they don't Whew. anyway so he was following his he's like and now they're smashing an atm at a wells fargo it's like yes we can see that thank you but i guess it's also good if you're if you can't see it so all right, I appreciate that for folks who are vision impaired. Okay, great. Point being, uh, a friend of mine hadn't was had stopped watching the, the live feed, so I was saying, oh yeah, they they went ahead and they smashed some the windows, and then they went into a Starbucks and stole some coffee, and that's exactly what happened. They you know like the, the quote unquote looting. Oh my gosh, looting! And it was like yeah, they stole some coffee. They took some coffee grounds, and who knows even like how the the grounds are meant. You know, 
transported in the first place if it's fair trade or not but it was like it's so it seems so minimal like they stole some coffee like at the end of the day and again all this could have been prohibit you know it could have been prevented if the administrators at cal had canceled the the talk in the first place and this is just my opinion uh, i knew a lot of folks here. i wasn't there in person i know a lot of people who were there and this is, goes from me watching the live feed and communicating with people who were there so this is that and i'm grateful and a lot of people were very grateful that and the black bloc were there and that they canceled the the talk and again i'll be playing a clip a little bit later and that that goes into this idea of you know saying oh well, do, do we have to result to violence or do, you know and it's like it's self-defense people don't understand that people really don't some people i should say it seems like you they, they don't understand that it is self-defense so i'm all for fucking self-defense okay Protest 101 for the newly involved. And this is copy and pasted. I'm not sure where it originated. Thank you, whoever wrote this, for writing this. Groovy. Okay. The protest numbers have been great, but I've seen some appalling counterproductive behavior on part of the white folks, surprise, at protests lately. So here's some 101 I think everybody should be on board with. All right. The cops are not your friends. They are agents of the fascist police state, we are opposing. Don't applaud them. Don't high-five them. Don't thank them. They would beat your ass into the ground in a second if given the order or if your skin were a different color. If you see people around you being chummy with the cops, call them out. The cops are not your friends. Seriously, white people, do better. Next. We are not a nation of immigrants. We are a settler, colonialist state on occupied land. Yes, many of us are descended from immigrants, but many are also descended from First Nations or those brought here by the slave trade. Those of us whose parents came here from elsewhere owe Native and Black people a debt of gratitude and a duty to protect and respect their autonomy and self-determination. The resistance has been ongoing for more than 500 years, and these are your leaders. Next. Civil disobedience means disruption. The status quo is not acceptable. Saw a lot of people upset. The people missed their flights due to the airport shutdown yesterday. And this was, of course, posted days ago. That was the point of the shutdown. We are all going to have to take on a lot more inconvenience and discomfort if we're going to hope to make a difference in changing what's going on. There are so many more things... I've got to learn myself, but if I see one more video of white people applauding the cops or arguing with seasoned POC protesters, I have to ask whose side you're on here. So I think that, mm, oh, beautiful. That just says so much of what many of us feel. And uh, I'm going to post this again right now on the Weekly Review webpage so you can see it visually. It's it's, I mean, it's right there for you. Right there. Um, great. I think it's time for a music break. And after that, we're going to hear, there's a great, so people like to, some people were, were posting some John Lennon, who's been known to be a wife beater, uh, you know, his nonviolence. And I think that's all well and good. We should all like strive for nonviolence. And the thing is that that's not always an option. And also, John Lennon had a lot of fucking privilege in his life. Let's be clear about that. 
So, not that the the FBI didn't fuck with him, but, you know, he had a lot of privilege. And not everyone <laughs> can walk walk through the world in, as a cis white man. So, let's, let's be clear that uh, it's important to listen to other people's perspectives. So, my idea was to say, all right, I see you're John Lennon. I'm going to raise you an Angela Davis because she made some very great points that I think are important to hear. So we'll be playing some more music. And then after that, we'll hear from Angela Davis. And thinking about some good songs to play in the meantime, some more anti-fascist songs because that's that's pretty much where we're at. And I think it's really empowering. And we also have all the musicians and the artists on our side. So just to remember that. You're listening to Mutiny Radio, and here's some Woody Guthrie for everybody. Show these fascists what a couple of hillbillies can do. Well, I'm going to tell you fascists, you may be surprised, people in this world are Getting organized, you're bound to lose. You fascists bound to lose. Woo! All you fascists bound to lose. I said, All you fascists bound to lose. Yes, all you fascists bound to lose. You're bound to lose. You fascists bound to lose. There's people of every nation marching side to side, marching across the fields. Where a million fascists died, you're bound to lose. You fascists bound to lose.
Because of the way this society is organized, because of the violence that exists on the surface everywhere, you have to expect that there are going to be such explosions. You have to expect things like that as reactions. If you are a black person and live in, 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 in the black community all your life, and walk out on the street every day seeing white policemen surrounding you, I. When I was living in Los Angeles, for instance, long before the situation in L.A. ever occurred, uh, I was constantly stopped. No, the, the, the police didn't know who I, who I was, but I was a black woman. And I had a, had a natural, and, and they, I suppose, thought that I might be a, quote, militant. And when you live under a situation like that constantly, um, uh, and, then, and then you ask me, you know, whether I approve of violence. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, whether I approve of guns, I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, some very, very good friends of mine were killed by bombs, bombs that were planted by racists. Uh, I remember from, from the time I was very small, I remember the sounds of bombs exploding across the street, our house shaking. I remember my father having to have guns at his disposal at all times because of the fact that at any moment uh, uh, someone we, we might expect to be attacked. The man who was at that time in con complete control of the city government, his name was Bull Connor, uh, would often get on the radio and make statements like, uh, 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 niggas have moved into a white neighborhood, uh, we better expect some bloodshed tonight. And sure enough, there would be bloodshed. Uh, after the four young girls who were, who lived very, who lived, one of them lived uh, next door to me. Um, I was very good friends with the sister of, of another one. My, f my sister was very good friends with all three of them. My mother taught one of them in her class. My mother, in fact, when the bombing occurred, one of the mothers of, uh, one of the young girls called my mother and said, uh, can you take me down to the church to pick up, uh, Carol, I, you know, we heard about the bombing and I, and I don't have my car. And they went down and what did they find? They found limbs and heads strewn all over the place. And then after that, uh, in my neighborhood, all of the men organized themselves into an armed patrol. They had to take their guns and patrol our community every night because they did not want that to happen again. 
I mean, that's why when someone asks me about violence, uh, uh, I just uh, I just find it incredible. It, because it, what it means is that the person who's asking that question has absolutely no idea what black people have gone through, what black people have experienced in this country since the time the first black person was kidnapped from the shores of Africa. Okay, so that was Angela Davis on violence and revolution, and you can find that on YouTube, and I'll also be sharing that on the Weekly Review webpage right now, so you can listen again and and watch that. <sighs> yeah, so as I mentioned, there's quite a bit to to get through, and we'll do as much as we can today. Also, the phone lines are always open here, 415-550-0511. If you're at the protest on Wednesday, please call in. Anything else that's on your mind, we welcome your voice, so please do call in and share what's happening. Okay, so there's also uh, a lot to get to. Uh, first of all, talk about some positive upcoming things that are happening. February 17th, there's a national general strike that's happening. If you go to uh, f17strike.com, you can find more information. Join us February 17th, 2017 for a national general strike. This grassroots movement is calling for a national general strike on February 17th, 2017 in defense of our nation's constitution. Participants pledge to be nonviolent. Okay. Uh, again, sometimes I wish there was a video camera here so you could see my face sometimes when I read these. Anyway, but yep, many tactics, many tactics. That's all good. All right, on the day of the strike, we will not go to work unless absolutely necessary. We will not go to school unless necessary. We will not spend any money <laughs> unless necessary. All right, that's just their words. Okay. Yes, yes, I'm going to yes and this. I'm yesing and yes anding this. Instead, we will show dissent with unconstitutional governance through gatherings and activities to be organized at the local personal level. Some communities are planning a day of service. Instead of work, strikers will dedicate their time to serving neighbors in need. Find your people, make your plan, spread the word. Now, if this could happen every day, that would be righteous. Awesome. Okay, so you can find them on Facebook, them, us. They say find us, us. I'll include myself in this. Find us on Facebook at Strike4, which is the number four democracy. And you can follow us on Twitter at F17Strike. So again, calling for a, a big strike on February 17th. And again, you can go to the website, f17strike.com. And this is great because we need many tactics. That's the thing, too, I think is important to realize that just because you're not into one thing doesn't mean you can't be into something else. And what, you know, the, the great thing is that there's a lot of different ways to resist. There's many ways to resist. So you might not be want to be part of Black Block. That's fine. You can also be part of a strike. You can do both. There's a lot of things you can do and a lot of ways you can resist. And also, if you don't like anything that's... I guess there's also that idea. You don't go out and start your own group because there's a lot of groups out there already or doing organizing. However, if there's an action that... you know, If you, if you feel like something isn't happening, there's also the idea... Or you feel like something's not working, you can also present your own ideas too instead of criticizing those who are out there. I think that's also really important. And uh, you know, if you don't... It's, it's important to do that as well. So what's what's the saying? Uh, just because you don't think it can be done, you shouldn't stand in the way of someone who's doing it. That's along the lines of what that that big quote is about. So there's also was this shooting hat that that happened in Quebec City, and folks don't seem to be. Some people are talking about it, I should say. And again, like in many of these situations, the shooter was a white supremacist. 
So if we're talking about terrorism, we should talk about the white supremacists because they're the ones causing a lot of the terror. <sighs> no one's talking about how to, you know, stop these folks from being radicalized, though. I shouldn't say no one because a lot of folks are. It's the, the people in government right now. They're not talking about that yet. These are the folks who are causing a lot of harm. And harm is an understatement. So uh, an article from, from deadstate.org. Uh, on Sunday, an attack on a mosque in Quebec resulted in six fatalities and new details about the victims are beginning to surface in the Canadian press. The suspect Canadian, Alexander Bissonnette, has reportedly been identified as a white nationalist and Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau responded to the incident by identifying it as a terrorist act on Muslims. And there's a list of the victims. Uh, <clears throat> Ibrahima Barry, who's 39, a father of four, was one of the six victims. Barry's friend Musa Sangari told the Toronto Sun Barry was a dedicated family man who was always with his children. Barry worked in information technology at the Health Insurance Board of Quebec. Next was Mamadou Tanu Barry, 42, Ibrahima Barry's cousin, who worked in Quebec to support his family in Africa. Both Ibrahima, Ibrahima and Mamadou Tanu were attending a Quran reading with their children. Next is Ezadeen Sunyani. Sunyan, and I apologize if I mispronounced the names, who's 57, another father. He was a grocer and a butcher at among the most prominent grocery stores in the local Muslim community, a family friend told the Toronto Sun. Next is Khaled Belkasemi, who is 60, a professor at the University Laval's food science department and a father of three. Next Abdel Krim Hassan, who's 41, who was the final victim of Sunday's attack. He was the father of three. Hassan worked in information technology for the government, and that he was a father of three daughters and had a wife. And then there is Abu Bakar Tabti, who's 44, born in Tunisia and worked in a pharmacy. He was married with two young children. Our university community is mourning today. Is in mourning today. The University Laval's rector Denis. Briere said in a statement, we mourn the death of an esteemed member of the faculty and the university, a devoted and beloved man of his colleagues and students. Sunday's attack reflected the impact of prejudice and Islamophobia that, sus that subjects Muslim communities to hate crimes due to harmful stereotypical portrayals of them as terrorists. There is no shortage of violent crime committed by white males, but white communities are not subjected to the same stigma and stereotyping as marginalized people who are forced to represent their communities. As Sunday's attack demonstrates, the consequences of the stereotyping can sometimes be fatal. So we'll do a moment of silence for these folks as well as many folks throughout time who have had their lives ended by white nationalists. And if we were to actually do a moment of silence for each person, the station would probably be silent for years.
it's complicated doing a show like this and wanting to provide information and news and provide an alternative to what the mainstream media does and to give attention to so many people who are constantly silenced by the violence that we face and how to do that fairly and I don't know if one can do it adequately. I want to try really hard, not try, I guess that word, there's a lot of issues with that word itself. To provide a, a space for what's happening that's positive and then also not not disregard the the pain and the hatred that's still present. And I feel like the, in general, the messages that we get are to be afraid and to be afraid of each other, to be afraid of other marginalized groups and to take our anger out on one another instead of the ones who are kind of telling us to be afraid in the first place. I don't think we need anyone to tell us to be afraid. I think a lot of us feel it. So I want to do, I want to devote part of this program to talking about how people are resisting. So it's really important to also ensure folks not feel hopeless and to also see when faced with a common enemy, which is fascism to see how people are coming together, how people are fighting back and how people are collaborating with one another to resist and learning from history to do that as well. I think one would, one would, one would imagine you even with the basic amount of history and granted a lot of the history that's taught is biased. One would imagine though, knowing the history that what's happened to someone else could very well happen to us. So even if you haven't been targeted, your family hasn't know that it could happen to you. And even, even if it's not happening to you, it's our duty to stand up for those it is happening to. And I think that's a lot what happened at the, with the airports this past weekend is that people at the airports around the country stood up and said, no, we won't accept what's happening. And it's still, there's still it's still happening and the pressure needs to be continued that yes even though a lot of folks were able to be released that's not true for everyone and it, it feels like insurmountable because every day there's more and more orders coming through coming down the pipeline of ways that for people to be hurt and one concern I have a lot of concerns. I always have a lot, I've always had a lot of concerns since I was a little kid. Now I guess I'm able to maybe articulate it better. Is that there are people following orders. And if you got someone at the top spouting a lot of nonsense, it wouldn't be a big deal if no one listened to it. A lot of us are like saying, fuck you, no, we're going to resist. You don't know what you're talking about. You're, you're harming people. No. And the problem is, though, that there's a lot of people who are following these orders, who want to follow these orders. And so a question I ask is, what can be done to try to persuade these people to stop following these orders. Cause that's, that's what's happened. And I've thought, I've said this for a long time, even before this inauguration with law enforcement, for instance, people following orders, trying to fill quotas, trying to arrest people. It's up. To, we are human beings here. It's changeable. People can change their behavior. And I guess we can only change our own behavior and in the meantime, for the folks out there who do know people in law enforcement, who do know people who want to follow these orders that are harming people, what can be done to talk people out of it? 
if you don't like violence and I'm using that broadly, if you don't like property damage, what are you doing then to try to prevent people from following orders to get people that are, that are getting people arrested, getting people deported, getting people separated from their families that are threatening people. Find alternatives, please. I thought I was going to go on a happy note here. I don't know why. Cause what we're talking about is pretty fucking depressing and it's just frustrating and depressing. And I do feel though speaking it aloud at least makes it more real perhaps and if we can start talking about it and finding solutions and finding there, there are so many ways to step up and so many ways to resist. So just because you're not into the black block doesn't mean you can't also step up and find a way to help. I think that's very crucial. So here is something, a positive thing. Folks joining forces, right? And I'm not talking about... And the good thing is that a lot of people have been boycotting some of the big businesses and I'm not... It's like it goes beyond that. We should have always been boycotting the big businesses since since a long time ago. But you don't collaborate with fascists. You don't. I consider this when I when I when a lot of folks I know have I've done improv and a lot of folks I know have done improv and I think of it this way: if there is an improviser who never listened to you when you were on stage together, who insulted you, insulted your friends, talked down to you, threatened you. And then they invited you to be on a team with them. And everyone else on their team are white supremacists and misogynists and xenophobes. Would you say, oh, wow, here's a great opportunity to be on this team. They have a following. A lot of people don't like them, but maybe I can come in and try to change it from the inside. Would you devote your time and energy to being on this team with a bunch of fucking fascists? Or would you decide to use your energy elsewhere and maybe create your own team or use your energy elsewhere to provide an alternative? And I understand it's a discussion that's been happening for a long time too. Do you change things on the inside from the outside? Do you do both? And to a degree, I think I appreciate folks who do believe you can change things from the inside. When there's a fascist though, I don't believe in collaborating with them. I don't think they're not here to listen. They're not here to, to work with you work with us. That's my opinion on that. So there's more of us than there are of them. And here's an example of that. This is from Al Jazeera. Muslim ban. This came out on February 1st. Japanese and Muslim Americans join forces. And I hope to read more stories like this of people joining forces. Japanese Americans remember discrimination they endured during World War II and say they will defend Muslim Americans. This was written by Masood Hayoun in Los Angeles. For Japanese and Muslim Americans, embracing a growing relationship in the movement to resist what many consider to be President 45's discriminatory policymaking, history isn't going to repeat itself. It's going to help inform the present. The Japanese-American community is commemorating a series of anniversaries this year. January 14th was the day 75 years ago when President FDR, for whom Trump has reportedly expressed his admiration, issued a proclamation forcing Japanese as well as Germans and Italians to register with the Department of Justice February 19th marks the 75th anniversary of the U.S.'s detention of its Japanese community during the Second World War. The history behind these dates is preserved with scientific precision in Little Tokyo. At the Japanese American National Museum in Los Angeles, there is a barracks from the Hart Mountain Camp in the western state of Wyoming, where many of the 120,000 people of Japanese origin interned during the war were resettled. 
Unvarnished wood thrown together to form a shack seems to have offered little shelter from the elements. It was disassembled and moved across two, si across two states and 1,751 kilometers so that people might remember what happened. Across from the museum is the Koyasan Buddhist Temple. Koyasan Buddhist Temple. There, many Japanese Americans left their belongings before lining up outside, wearing tickets noting their destinations, waiting to be shipped off, first to a temporary holding space and then to camps across the U.S., museum staff explained. Signs calling for their evacuation were posted down the block on businesses like Fugetsu-do, or Fugetsu-do, a more than 100-year-old bakery that still stands. In Los Angeles' little Tokyo, much of what happened during the Second World War is maintained with great care so that people might remember what happened. There's a political power in memory, many here say. They hope it will prevent another such incident after a member of Trump's pre-inaugural team, Kansas State Secretary Chris Kobach, told the media that the proto-administration has been mulling a registry for immigrants from Muslim countries. Trump on Friday signed an executive order banning people from seven Muslim-majority nations, six Arab, League nation, six Arab League states in Iran. The ban provoked outrage that continues to manifest at airports, airport protests across the U.S., but reports of detentions persist. For years since post-9-11, hate crimes against Americans of Muslim faith, Japanese and Muslim Americans have commemorated these events and also organized for social justice together. And then in December 2015, following Trump's campaign pledge of a so-called Muslim ban, members of both communities created a coalition called Hashtag Vigilant Love. The coalition continues to organize a series of demonstrations for social justice. On Thursday, they organized a vigil in anticipation of Trump's executive order on the seven Muslim-majority nations that brought out hundreds of participants. When this happened to our community, we always talk about people who stood up for us. It's our duty to do the same, said Kristen Fukushima, 29, managing director for the Little Tokyo Community Council, whose grandparents were interned. Fukushima referred to the very singular help of the U.S. Quaker community, which was famously among strikingly few non-Japanese Americans who were vocal in its opposition to detention. Remembering the past is of particular importance to some in the Japanese-American community. I think the difference this year is we've lost most of the people who remember the camps, said Kyoko Nakamaru, 36, an activist who participates in Vigilant Love. Nakamaru's grandmother, who had been interned in post-war relocation center in the southwestern state of Arizona, recently passed away. They are no longer here to speak for themselves. During their lives, they were too afraid to speak up. I am not afraid, Nakamaru said. At the Day of Remembrance next month, Muslim Americans will be there to help non-Muslim Japanese Americans like Nakamaru remember an infamous time in U.S. history, a memory of which they hope will have teeth. There will, have, there will be at least one Muslim-American speaker on the roster, according to Japanese-American community leaders organizing this event, the event. With a cross-faith, inter-ethnic team at the helm, one thing alone ties all the Vigilant Love organizers. Sahar Pirzada, 27, one of the Vigilant Love's co-chairs notes. Pirzada is an American whose parents are from Pakistan. They're all women, she said. Awesome. It's almost 
as a retort to the prevalent narratives of Asian and Muslim American women in U.S. society. It says that we're here and we will lead the resistance, she added. Her chair, Tracy Ishigo, 25, a non-Muslim, a non-Muslim Japanese American agreed. Women from a lot of communities of color have different but also shared experiences, she said. There are so many experiences to talk about it. Makes it hard to, to talk about it. Makes it hard to break it down. We need to consider all experiences and not just those that fit into cookie-cutter narratives. Ishigo noted, for example, that Islamophobia is often misinterpreted as being synonymous with, with anti-Arab or anti-Middle Easternness in the U.S. We need to be mindful of how people are exp- are experiencing Islamophobia. Black Muslims make up a third of Muslims in that, this area, she said. Vigilant love started with the Muslim and Japanese American communities, Pirzada and Ishigo say, but it aims to be much broader than those two communities in scope, particularly as they and other social justice activists combat what they call unprecedented social injustice in the time of 45. The nexus of the two communities and just a note here, I'm using the number 45 instead of saying this person's name. The nexus of the two communities is resounding with people. If Twitter is any metric for success, and it may be an appropriate metric since the organizers are careful to note the hashtag and their organization's name. The following tweet and its image went viral during the Women's March on January 21st that drew protesters of all ethnic and faith backgrounds around the world. An ACLU lawyer, Mitra Abadullahi, tweeted, and there's a photo of a young child with a sign that says, Japanese Americans against Muslim registry. Uh, The sight of one in the U.S.'s future generations expressing solidarity between Japanese and Muslim Americans recalled for many a dark time in U.S. history and a community experiencing a lot of similar fears in the present. All right. So, uh, with that, how about some music from some, here are some female voices.
showing that with weeds all your garden will abound if you close your eyes stop your ears shut your mouth and how can you know for seeds you cannot see may not be there seeds you cannot hear may never grow in January you still got the choice Cut the weeds before they start to bud If you leave them to grow high They'll silence your voice And in December you may pay with your blood Every day another vulture takes flight There's another danger born every morning In the darkness of your blindness The beast will learn to bite How can you fight if you can't recognize a warning? So close your eyes, stop your ears, shut your mouth and take it slow. Let us take the lead and you'll bring out the rear. Later you can say you didn't know. Today you may earn a living wage. Tomorrow you may be on the dole. Others millions going hungry need and disengage. For it's then that you've fallen down the hole It's alright for you if you run with the pack It's okay if you agree with all they do If fascism is slowly coming back It's not a yet, so what's it gotta do with you? So close your eyes, stop your ears Shut your mouth and take it slow let others take the lead and you'll bring up the rear Later you can say you didn't know Didn't know Ah, the EDL is standing up for England But not an England that I want to see 
As an atheist, I stand side by side with Sikhs and Muslims To deny the racist any victory Neo-Nazi Nick Griffin takes the front seat And a thousand ugly bird boys raise their hands Well, I shoot those bastards dead before their hateful nuts are spread Nazi scumbags must never take command The BMP will never get to rule my land so close your eyes, stop your ears, shut your mouth and take it slow Let others take the lead and you'll bring out the rear Later you can say you didn't know Close your eyes, stop your ears, shut your mouth and never dare And if it happens here, they'll never come for you Because they'll know you really didn't care bloody fight around this whole world tonight in the battle of bombs and shrapnel rain Hitler told the world around he would tear our union down but our union's gonna break them slavery chains and our union's gonna break them slavery chains I walked up on a mountain in the middle of the sky could see every farm and every town I could see all the people in this whole wide world That's a union that'll tear the fascists down, down, down That's a union that'll tear the fascists down When I think of the men and the ships going down While the Russians fight on across the dawn There's London in ruins and Paris in chains Good people, what are we waiting on? Good people, what are we waiting on? So I thank the Soviets and the mighty Chinese vets, the allies the whole wide world around. To the battling British thanks, you can have 10 million Yanks if it takes them to tear the fascists down, down, down. If it takes them to tear the fascists down. But when I think of the ships and the men going down and the Russians fight on across the dawn, there's London in ruins and Paris in chains. Good people, what are we waiting on? Good people, what are we waiting on? So I thank the Soviets and the mighty Chinese vets, the allies the whole wide world around. To the battling British thanks, you can have 10 million yanks if it takes them to tear the fascists down, down, down. If it takes them to tear the fascists down. And welcome back to the Weekly Review. We heard FYR by La Tigra, followed by Song of Choice by Crazy Arm, and then some more Woody Guthrie with Tear the Fascists Down. More news. There are folks who say, let the law take care of things, and uh, nope. The law isn't, yeah, uh, the, the thing is that the law isn't here to protect everybody. If it were, that'd be great. If it was a win-all solution if everyone was protected under the law that's great for folks who want to work with that wonderful and at the same time recognize that the law isn't here to protect everyone 
And in some cases, the law is used against people. Let's look at the prisons. If the law was just, why would there be mass incarceration? If the law was just, why would there be over a thousand people a year murdered by police officers? Uh, if jails were helping, why wouldn't Karl Rove and Dick Cheney, why are they not there? Why aren't war criminals in jail? I mean, we know. This is a rhetorical question. But, uh, I mean, there's a there's a rapist who's the president right now. So, come on. The law, yeah. Okay. Yeah. We need to find solutions and alternatives. I think that's it, too. I recognize that we can... We can go all night about how things aren't working and at the same time we need to provide alternatives. So I recognize that and I don't want to, I don't want to say, Oh, we just need to dismantle it and not have anything to go towards. We need something to go towards and we need to build that and create that. And I think one thing to do is to create the society we want to live in. And so therefore the, the way things are that are really problematic that can just crumble and people don't have to rely on it. So we do need to provide alternatives one question I would ask folks who defend police is that uh, why, why don't police uh, why don't they police their own neighborhoods that they live in? Why do they go to other neighborhoods? Rhetorical question. I mean, folks are welcome to answer that, but it's not like people are are brought in to protect and serve. They're brought into other communities to harass people. So I answered that question for you. Okay. This, this goes along these lines, and this is just how the law is used against people. I mean, we could go, there's so many examples of this, and this is why I think it's really crucial, especially at a time like this when more and more people are becoming engaged with, with protests and, and who to go to for help and who to go to for support, this idea that the cops are not here to help us. They're not. They might, maybe you haven't had any bad experiences with, with them. That's not true for the, I would say the majority of Americans, though. And so this, this is, I guess, one example of why the law, and again, it's the system that's in place. I really want to make that clear that we're talking about the system that's in place and people who participate in the system. We need to provide alternatives so that people don't feel like they need to be part of the system in order to support themselves. So I guess we'll, we'll blame capitalism here because if people need to feed themselves and clothe themselves and house themselves, they need to think they, they need to get a job to do that and a lot of the jobs that are offered involve oppressing people so that's a problem so we need to provide other solutions so people don't feel like they need to take these jobs which end up hurting people and the planet that's constructive it is okay so this comes from ebony and this was written by uh, Chantel e jameson this came out on february 1st stand your ground marissa alexander is finally free so I guess we should breathe in and out. At the, the there's a Spectrum Crimea fr- free plug here. We don't have advertisements here. This is a completely uncensored show. We have no sponsors. So I can say whatever the fuck I want, which is great. And I'm happy to do free advertisements here. There's a Spectrum Crimea queer and trans open mic every Tuesday night at Perch Coffee House at 440 Grand in Oakland. Uh, Tuesday nights, check it out. It's a wonderful space. We do breathing there before the show starts. We everyone, we do many breaths in and out because a lot of us need that. We all need that as human beings to walk through the world. There's a lot that's triggering. There's a lot that's problematic and to to be able to take some breaths together and to be in the space together is really important. And I feel that they need to do that before a lot of these articles, because this is the world we live in where people are treated unfairly. And that's, that's a minor statement. So, okay. Putting this forward. Okay. So a woman who faced 60 years in prison for firing a warning shot at an abusive husband. 
uh, has another chance at, at freedom. So this is a, a positive thing. And again, I found with doing this show another theme. One theme is people in positions of power abusing their authority. That's a theme. Another theme is that the, the positive news stories happen to be people responding to the, the negative things that happen. For a while, when I started the show, it was a lot of it was states that have legalized or decriminalized cannabis, and that's great. That's all well and good. But it's kind of like, why was it illegal in the first place? And previously on the show, just even talking about uh, Muslims and Japanese Americans coming together, and it's like, oh, they're coming together because of threats that are happening. So the positive things that are happening are in responses to the negative things, and that's, that's where we're at, but I'll, I'll take it. So again, here's a situation. This woman should have been in prison in the first place, um, however, the positive thing is that now <sighs> she's out of prison. Whew. The Jacksonville woman jailed in 2012 for firing a warning shot at her abusive husband is now free. Marissa Alexander was sentenced to 20 years in prison after being de- denied freedom after defending her actions under Florida's controversial stand your ground law. The mother of three was released after she completed two years of court ordered home confinement and previously served nearly three years in prison on weapons and assault charges. In 2014, Alexander accepted a plea deal of her conviction in a jury trial to avoid a potential 60 years behind bars. Today, after three years behind bars and two years of house detention, Marissa Alexander was finally released from state confinement. A statement from the Free Marissa Now campaign reads, Marissa Alexander has been punished for over five years for defending her life from a domestic violence attack threatening her life nine days after she gave birth. The Free Marissa Now mobilization campaign is thrilled that we have finally made it to the day that we can say Marissa Alexander has her freedom. Since the beginning of her ordeal, Alexander prioritized the need to use her case as a way to bring attention to the institutional patterns of criminalizing survivors Her case drew national attention in 2012, largely due to George Zimmerman's case, also in Florida, where the neighborhood watchman murdered 17-year-old Trayvon Martin after following him as he walked home from the convenience store. Zimmerman was acquitted in 2013 on second-degree murder and manslaughter charges and did not claim Florida's controversial stand-your-ground self-defense law. But Alexander believed she had a legitimate reason to benefit from the law intended to protect self-defense shooters from criminal prosecution. Alexander testified that her ex-husband, Rico Gray, threatened to kill her on August 2010, moments before she fired her legally registered firearm into the ceiling of her Jacksonville home to prevent a domestic violence attack. In sworn arguments, Gray acknowledged that he physically abused Alexander. In one statement, Gray said... I got five baby, jeez, okay. He said, I got five baby mamas and I put my hands on every last one of them except one, according to Mike. Wow, okay. Ugh, gross. Okay, so here we go. So even when there are these laws, they don't go to protect people. And again, Marissa Alexander, I mean, this also just proves that there is an incredible amount of misogyny and white supremacy uh, in the world that, you know, she ends up being prosecuted and she didn't, she was protecting herself. She ends up in jail and George Zimmerman didn't. All right. More evidence. I mean, we got evidence till the cows come home. (sighs) All right. 
I'm 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 ready for another music break. I don't know about you all, but putting some more music out there. And this is uh Bella Chow.
Hello, this is Roman. And going to read some more news because that's what we do here. You're welcome to call in, please, 415-550-0511. So there's been a lot of bomb threats at Jewish community centers around the U.S. this week. 57 bomb threats in the month of January uh, to 48 Jewish centers. And after the evacuation, they said they're all clear. There's an article I'm reading from Haaretz, and I, I recognize that. I mean, it's, yeah. So wanting to put that out there as well. And the article says, after each wave of threats, evacuations, and the all clear from the police, the community centers resume activity, leading some to dismiss the bomb threats as merely a hoax. And yet, while no bombs were found at any of the JCCs, those who regularly attend the schools, community centers, and daycares that are evacuated are shaken and fearful after each set of calls directed at the Jewish community. So also wanting to put that out there as well. Many groups are being affected by this regime. So really, it's not wanting to dismiss that this is also happening. So on Tuesday, there are 14 Jewish community centers uh, that were evacuated. And uh, also in Canada. So threats have been called into centers in California, Colorado, Illinois, New Jersey, New York, Massachusetts, New Mexico, Ohio, Utah, Wisconsin, and Ontario. And, uh, yes, so this is super problematic. And I think also just we need to find ways for communities to defend themselves as well. Because, of course, one could say, but, Norman, early, earlier on the program you're talking about not working with the police. And, yeah, that's the thing, too, is how can we not – because we can see the law harm people and then also see people depend on the law for defense – and that's something that is a conversation that really needs to happen. So I want to put that out there. And the law is not here to protect everyone. So, and also then a friend posted earlier, this is like an ongoing conversation. It's not, I'm not saying I have the answers here. It's just that the conversation needs to be had. Uh, here in San Francisco, a friend saw two police officers harassing an, an elderly Asian woman. So, and my friend referred to the officers as Nazis, and that's the fucking, that's Nazi behavior right there. So, especially as someone who's Jewish, it's interesting to see how, who do we, who do we go to for help? Who we, do we feel will help us and will protect us? And what happens when the, some of the, sometimes people go to folks to protect us and those folks are not protecting other people. And that's, that can, that's a problem. So I, I think, I believe in community defense and finding a way to improve that and to create that. So people don't have to rely on the state for protection putting that out there okay next up uh there's some more pieces i was going to read am going to read not was am hello present tense this is a lot uh, this comes from chris Cross. this more goes back to the, the brooklyn because it's been a lot there's been a lot for discussion and there's been a lot of folks uh, saying that being unhappy with how it was handled and the thing was that the event was shut down and that's what we should remember. So this comes from, this is from the, uh, Anaris project and that's a N A R R E S project. And it's the Anaris project for alternative futures. And the title is the time of never again is now. And when folks talk about the Holocaust, the idea is like never again and never again for anyone. We need to stop this. We cannot allow this to happen again ever. And this is written by Chris Crass. This came out yesterday 
If what happened at UC Berkeley makes you uncomfortable, I invite you to be in that discomfort for a while. If what happened at UC Berkeley gets you more riled up than the right-wing Trump-supporting alt-right Nazi terrorist in Quebec City who opened fire on a mosque and killed six people just a few days ago, I invite you to ask why that is. We are living in a time when Stephen Bannon, a white nationalist, read white supremacist, is one of the most powerful people on the planet and is unleashing the full power of the federal government to unleash a racist, anti-working class agenda on the planet and is doing so while he and Trump give a green light to vigilante right-wing violence that hurts and kills people and terrorizes our communities. It's crucial to remember that no one looks back at Germany during the rise of the Nazis and says, well, at least they respected the Nazis' freedom of speech. They say... Never again. Again is here. So, yep, I co-signed for that. Absolutely. <sighs> Moving along. There's another, another piece. Uh, there's a lot of people speaking about their experiences from the protests, and a lot of them are very much... And in support of folks speaking up and doing whatever they can to to do that uh, to to stop it. There's an article: five powerful ways people trick you into hating protesters. It's up online right now, so I'm gonna go read it now. Try to get to as many things as possible, and also just get to a lot. Okay, this is on crack. This is from written from David Wong, and this came out last year in June, two years ago, June of 2015, and I'm gonna do a very quick read-through of this, highlighting some of the other points. Let's say that tomorrow you're elected a secret secret ruler of the USA. A position gives you total power over the government, economy, and culture at large. I remember, I remember, I think about if I could do this, and I'd be like, oh my gosh, I'd do so many wonderful things. I'd be like, all right, turning all banks into food banks, making sure there are bike lanes everywhere, taking the military and law enforcement budget, putting it into education and arts, making sure everyone is housed, everyone has food and health care. These are things that I would do. I would withdraw troops from other countries. I would do a lot of things. Uh, that's, that's a lot of what I would do. Anyway, but I'm not. So anyway, going back to the article. Everything that hippies refer to as the system. Now, not just hippies, a lot of people. Now that your first job is to not get beheaded by rioting peasants, which means your first job is to maintain stability, quote-unquote stability, they say. Immediately, you'll find that you're facing a never-ending stream of protests from disgruntled groups who say they're being treated unfairly or otherwise getting left out, which, as we know now, is many people, most people. This group over here is upset that somebody got abused by the police. This other bunch is demanding better wages or something. How do you handle it? Sure, you could crush their movements with an iron fist, using violence to kill, intimidate, or arrest their most vocal members, uh, but that can backfire, often turning them into martyrs and proving them right in the process. You've seen Star Wars. Somebody always finds the exhaust port. I'm not a big Star Wars aficionado, so I don't quite get it, but I appreciate the analogy for those who do. Great. No. What you need is to get the majority on your side against those vocal complainers. Fortunately for you, the system comes with a number of refined and subtle processes designed to make sure the complaints of the few get ignored by the many. And this is how, how they do it. Number five, wait for one of them to break the law and then talk openly about that. And we'll see that. Even folks on the left, they're talking about, ah, oh, property damage. Yeah. But they're just people who are angry about this are also playing into what the, the media and what the ruling classes want. 
This might literally be the oldest trick in the book. I'm thinking powerful people have been doing this to protesters and activists since the days when getting gored by a mammoth was a leading cause of death. It plays out like this. A, a certain group has a complaint. They're being discriminated against, had their benefits cut, whatever, but they are not the majority. But B, because the majority is not affected, they are largely ignorant and uninterested in what is going on with the complainers. The news media does not cover their issue because it's bad for ratings. C, to get the majority's attention, the group with the complaint will gather in large numbers to chant and block traffic, etc. This forces the media to cover the demonstration since huge loud groups of people make for good photos and video and cover the issue in the process since part of covering the protest involves explaining what is being protested. In America, we've seen this tactic used by everyone from impoverished war veterans to women seeking the right to vote to the protests about police violence you're seeing all over the news right now. And D, to counter this, all you need is to do is simply wait for a member of an activist group, anyone, any member, to commit a crime. And this is their words of crime. Then the media will focus on the crime because riots and broken glass make for even more exciting photos and videos than the demonstrations. The majority, who fears crime and instability above all else, will then hopefully associate the movement with violence from then on. And they have posters here, one is fucking righteous, <laughs> of suffragettes, like back in the day of like the anti-suffragette, like it, okay. E, you in your quest to keep, and obviously I'm not going through, I'm definitely not doing a an abridged version of this because I'm digging what they're saying. E, in your quest to keep the system from changing, can now reframe the issue not as oppressors versus the oppressed, but as citizens versus criminals. Supporting their cause means supporting violence. The TV will be full of images of burning convenience stores and looting storefronts, at which point the majority will then smirkingly say, I would never protest government oppression by mindlessly destroying someone's private property. This is exactly what people were doing yesterday and the day before. When people are saying, oh, but the black block, da, 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 they're, they're talking about the response to what Milo has done as opposed to what Milo has done. And again, I'll reiterate, people have been for over a month getting trying to get folks at Cal to cancel it and they didn't listen. It's not just like people showed up and started breaking shit. They did everything in their power to get them to cancel this event and the administrators did not listen and the cops were protecting Nazis. So yes, you're kind of feeding into the, the media's hands if you're saying, oh my God, destruction of property, da, da, da. And then they say, I mean, why can't they protest within the law? And then they'll quote MLK, and I saw a lot of that. Uh, and, and then they will bring MLK into this. And let's face it, the fact that they're resorting to violence and petty destruction of property proves that they're really just criminals looking for an excuse to misbehave, which is just, ugh. You're totally feeding into their hands. Okay. Now keep in mind, not even the people repeating this will actually believe it. America's pop culture and actual history are both full of heroes who broke the law and destroyed shit when the system failed them. You know, Batman ain't got no permit to fly that plane. That's their words. To this day, we applaud you. We applaud when oppressed peoples in other countries do it. So when someone says we should ignore a movement because they're a bunch of quote-unquote thugs and their bleeding heart friend points out that the same could be said of the founding fathers, they'll shift gears immediately. Are you honestly comparing the protesters in Ferguson with brave imprisoned heroes like Thomas Paine? He campaigned for freedom. And that's, oops, that's their quote. Whew. Okay. Um, excuse me, uh, moving, moving onward. So that was, that's the, the first point in the article that they're making. And I think that's really crucial because 
there is a lot of propaganda that we're seeing and it's very easy for folks to kind of move along with it. Uh, in other words, they'll quickly admit that the legality of the tactics actually doesn't have any impact on whether or not the cause is just. Disabled veterans and neo-Nazis alike have gotten tossed in jail for protests that turned ugly. Unruly members don't automatically make a cause wrong any more than they automatically make it right. Everyone will agree that this is true and logical, but then five minutes later, they will again dismiss an entire cause the moment they see a single burning police car. And some of us feel differently about that. Uh, <laughs> the success rate of this technique is very high. Today, the only thing most people in China remember about the Tiananmen Square Massacre is that it restored stability and order. Next, and then the next quote, but since the USA was built on a revolution, won't most people automatically side with the underdog group even when they step out of line? This is certainly a danger, which is why the next step is number four, convince the powerful majority that they're the oppressed one of the rich today is equivalent to the persecution of the Jews during the Holocaust. Fuck that asshole. He's not having a stroke. He's under the influence of one of the most powerful techniques the system has in its arsenal to get the majority to ignore complaints by any disadvantaged group. You simply insist that the disadvantaged group has the real power and that the powerful majority is thus the underdog. It usually involves the following steps. A, find an example of a successful member of the disadvantaged group and exaggerate their power. B, say you're doing and insist they were doing, they were asking for it and were the real driving force behind the harassment all along. I'll give you a couple of real world examples. And trust me, once you get the hang of it, you'll start to see this everywhere. And, uh, Let's see. Let's say your country has a rapidly worsening poverty problem and the impoverished are getting noisy. A, requires that you insist those are at the very bottom. The ones depending on government assistance to buy food are actually rich. This could, would seem like an impossible, if not ridiculous, task. But all it takes is a photoshopped image showing a massive food stamp balance on a receipt from a liquor store and the majority will share it on Facebook hundreds of thousands of times, or find a video of a beggar who is caught driving a luxury car, and it will be blasted from the headlines as a typical example of a poor person. Next comes B, the moment everyone calls bullshit. Cry censorship by insisting you're a martyr of political correctness. And then we get to C, in which you say that the activists supporting the victims of your attack were only in it for the money or attention. There's... That's all there is to it. Three simple steps. Exaggerate the victim's power to get the public on your side. Get the victim to lash out so you can claim victimhood yourself. Insist all of their complaints are disingenuous. Boom. Done. And just to be clear, the narrative being put forth above that everyone claiming to be poor is secretly rich is once more not something that anyone actually believes. Offer anyone saying... It, the chance to live in the public housing projects or trailer parks where these secretly rich welfare queens dwell and all you'll see is a cloud of dust and a tiny silhouette sprinting off into the horizon. But you don't need the majority to actually believe it, only to quote-unquote believe it. That's why this works with any group, no matter how laughably the balance of power is tilted in their favor. The petroleum industry is making $200 billion a year in profits. If you want to portray them as the gritty, oppressed underdog, just A... Talk about how these poor guys are constantly getting bullied by the vicious and hugely powerful environmental lobby. And seriously, don't be afraid of using the words like bullied, even when talking about 
what is literally one of the most wealthy and powerful groups in all his human history. Actual quote, but if anyone was being bullied here, it was Chevron. It is almost impossible for an oil company to get a fair hearing in a world brainwashed by environmental propaganda. Ugh. Of course, that bit about not getting a fair hearing covers B, the accusation of censorship and a cry of victimhood. Then C, you talk about how the environmentalists are only in it for the money. In the case, they're talking about Al Gore. And there you go. Soon you'll have common folks looking at rising gas prices and saying, thanks a lot, Greenpeace. Okay, and this goes on a little further, and just for the sake of time, I'm going to move on to the next points, but this is a great article, so again, you can check it out at Crackton's, came out in June 2015. I'll scroll up to the top, I feel like I'm running a marathon here, and I'll get the, the, the writer's name uh, when I'm done reading the article. Next, three, focus on the most frivolous complaints and most unlikable members, and they have a thing here about, about PETA, and I know a lot of vegans and animal rights activists who aren't fans of PETA. Uh, one advantage you have in your role as secret ruler is that your citizens are drowning in information. So I guess you can, you can point and choose what you pick and choose what you want them to say about this and not actually focus on the issue moving along. Uh, okay. So next <laughs> I'm saying this out loud. Number two, pit two disadvantaged groups against one another and insist that only one can win. This is huge. And this is happening a lot. As we mentioned above, the average person has only so much room in their brain and time in their day to devote to issues they need to worry about. Sympathy requires energy, and we have a finite amount of to spend. Whether this is a subtle way that you can actually use this to your advantage by implying that, in fact, there is only so much sympathy in the world, and that paying attention to this one complaint somehow means subtracting attention from another. This lets you play two groups of victims against one another as they fight for their share. The beauty of this one is that even well-meaning people fall for it. It's why the infamous false rape story in Rolling Stone became such an explosive issue for both sides. Any talk of men getting screwed over by fake rape accusations... Uh, just mean you're neglecting rape victims or being a rape apologist. And why can't we be sympathetic to rape victims? Okay, that's their example. Okay. See, that means we must only focus on the more serious of the two problems and collectively. Okay. All right. Moving along. Uh, all right. Next. Number one, insist that any change will ruin the world. This is the... Love it or leave it, fallacy, and boy, does it work. As a secret ruler in charge of ma making sure that no meaningful change ever happens, this is your trump card. Remember, humans are naturally risk-averse. People will stay in bad jobs and relationships and keep destructive habits for fear that trying to fix the bad shit will result in losing everything. This is why people are afraid to take antidepressant meds. I think there's a lot of other reasons why people don't take them though sure it might make the, make the depression go away but what if i also lose cool edgy parts of my personality all right all right we can disagree about that so in order and i know a lot of folks who for whom antidepressant meds have helped i'm just saying that there's a lot of reasons folks folks might not take them so in order to tap into that fear all you have to do is portray any criticism of the current system as an attack on everything we hold dear uh and they have a few examples here um, and all of them, I'm kind of like, uh, you know, it's like the calling someone a communist as if it's an insult. It's like, 
that's not an insult. To, to a lot of us, it's not an insult. Okay. So this article is written by David Wong, and I agree with a lot of it. And again, it's really important for folks to realize that they're trying to make protesters look bad. Okay. I've done a lot of talking. I'm going to play some music and find some more articles to share with everyone. Ugh. Goodness. Time for a breath. Definitely time for a breath. Here's some more music to rock out to.
Good question. Welcome back to the weekly review. Going to go over a few headlines. Oh, boy. What a week. So there have been some scheduled defund Planned Parenthood rallies coming up across the country, and they've hit a snag, thankfully, because they're like, oh, let's defund. I hope I said defund. Yes. So they've been working to defund Planned Parenthood, but of course some folks have been like, yeah, I'll help defend Planned Parenthood. So they've hit a snag, but there's still calls out to make sure that folks are defending Planned Parenthood. So that's one thing. Also, folks went out to Diane Feinstein's house. Diane Feinstein, Democrat. I'm not a huge fan of Democrats. I think a lot of them, many, 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 many are complicit and spineless. Uh, and that's kind of why we're here today. Uh, went to Diane Feinstein's house. So I appreciate that folks going out there and she spoke out. Uh, she's spoken out at least. Um, it's good people have applied pressure. Um, so she has at least spoken up a bit, but still it's kind of like, oh. But the positive, I'm trying to be positive here. The positive thing is that people have been going to our house. And I remember I went to a protest there at our house like years ago. I forget what it was for, but I remember talking. I don't know. It was a while ago. It was something that was happening. So uh, I, I guess it, it falls into the idea of like, do we feel that our leaders can be held accountable and do we feel like they're speaking out speaking up for us and a lot of the times it's the answer is no and but i do appreciate the fact that more and more people are going out and if everyone was to go out all the time and if this was always happening i wonder if people had always been going out to like her house and to the representatives houses and actually being like no really speak speak on our behalf i think things would be different so i do feel like part of it is that folks and i'm myself included take things for granted and uh, not speaking up has led to why there are people in positions of power who are in it for the money and they don't really care about the people. I am grateful for the folks who went to her house and encouraged her to speak up. So I think that is great. Good. Uh, the, a, a person, there's a, a video of Nancy Pelosi. Fun fact was on an improv team for a very brief moment of time called Grossy Pelosi. And of course I'll say, as if we're going to have to have leaders, I would love them to be women. I love them all to be women. And at that, they also have to have fucking good principles. And Nancy Pelosi is, uh... anyway, so, uh, uh, someone asked her a question recently and it was like, um, the majority of young people don't like capitalism. How do you feel about that? And she went on to defend capital. She's like, it's wrong, and I'm still going to defend it, and Democrats are capitalists. And we're like, yes, we know that. Thanks for proving what we know, and goodbye. So <laughs> that happened, sharing that information as well. Noam Chomsky has called for a militant labor movement. That's fucking right on. There was more of an article about that, more an article. If you listen to the show, you know that by the end, I tend to get a little bit oof. And right now, it's at 149. Oh, we're almost out of time. I'll get through as much as I can. So go to inquisitor.com, and that's I-N-Q-U-I-S-I-T-R.com, and I'm going to share that right now on the Weekly Review webpage, which you go to at facebook.com slash weeklyrev, and you can read that article there. Noam Chomsky, I prefer to Diane Feinstein, and I prefer him to Nancy Pelosi. That's a fact. That's a fact. Uh, Captain Fantastic's a movie folks should check out. There's a fun bit there about Noam Chomsky. People can appreciate that. Here's a little thing I'm going to read. Never let them convince you that broken glass or property is violence. Hunger is violence. Homelessness is violence. War is violence. Dropping bombs on people is violence. Racism is violence. White supremacy is violence. No health care is violence. Poverty is violence. Contaminating water sources for profit is violence. 
property can be replaced. Human lives cannot. Uh, so thank you for that. That was uh, Sarah Solidarity NYC tweeted that. And David Wong was the author of the article I read before. There's also another article here, 26 ways to be in the struggle beyond the streets. So not everyone can be there in person and wanting to recognize that. So uh, again, go to the weekly review page, facebook.com slash weekly rev. Check that out. Because I get, you know, not everyone, there's a lot of different ways to help out. So wanting to, to show that. There's also, oh, I'm not going to get to everything. And that's okay. That's all right. There is a, a mosque in Texas that was burned and there's a Jewish synagogue and they gave the, they gave folks the keys to that synagogue as a show of solidarity. And I was looking for that article and I'm having difficulty pulling it up at the moment, but really wanted to um, share that. Cause that's again, going into the, how um, people are helping one another typing in a few keywords here to hopefully pull up the article before we run out of time here. CNN, independent, oh, trying to find the most res tr trustworthy news source. And again, that's tricky because what is trustworthy news? So the independent Jewish people give Muslims key to their synagogue after town's mosque burns down. Uh, donations to rebuild the Islamic center are adding up. And this came out on February 17th, February 17th. That hasn't happened yet. That's the future. It's happened on February 1st, 2017, written by John Sharman. Um, again, I'll post this. Well, actually, I'm going to read the article before I post it. How's that? How's that for sharing information? Um, but yeah, you can check out more information here and I'll just read a little bit here. There's a small, so Jewish people in a small Texas city handed Muslim worshipers the keys to their synagogue after the town's only mosque was destroyed in a fire. The Victoria Islamic Center burned down on Saturday and had previously been burgled. The cause is being investigated by federal officials, but the town's Muslim population will not be without a place to worship while their building is reconstructed thanks to their Jewish neighbors. Robert Loeb, the president of Temple B'nai Israel, told Forward, Everyone knows everybody. I know several members of the mosque, and we felt for them. When a calamity like this happens, we have to stand together. Right on. Great. There's also a story in It's Going Down, which I encourage folks to check out, about how there is... So Richard Spencer, the white supremacist from that small town in Montana, some anti-fascists went there to stand up against white supremacists there, so that's a good thing. There's another article, What to Do When You're So Overwhelmed by the 45 Presidency, You Can Barely Move. It's unmashable. You can check that out. Uh, Tony Morrison, there's a great article in Huffington Post. Tony Morrison, Fear of Losing White Privilege Led to 45's Election. That's damn true. <sighs> All right. Got a photo here outside Giant Feinstein's house. 200 demonstrators were out there. Right on. Okay. Yeah. Trying to get to as much as possible here. And there's another article uh, that had to do with... Oh, yes. Reddit uh, banned the quote-unquote alt-right community. So good on them. Bit, bit overdue, but good. I'm glad they did that. Uh, community defense in the age of Trump. Berkeley shuts down Milo as there's a write-up from It's Going Down. It came out on February 2nd. I will... Uh, so much to get to. And I'm going to read the last couple paragraphs here. Uh, Trump, 45... Ugh, I said his name. Has begun already begun threatening retaliation over last night's events, including cutting federal funding to UC Berkeley. This idea is especially absurd coming as it does on the heels of the U.S. military's murder of eight-year-old Nawar al-Awlaki in Yemen. Nawar's father, Anwar al 
Alaki was killed by a drone strike authorized by the Obama administration in 2011 because they didn't like how he was using his right to free speech. Anwar's death and the subsequent death of his two children make abundantly clear that the problem is merely where one's quote-unquote hate speech is directed. If you're a Muslim threatening white people in the United States with violence, you may find yourself on the kill list. If you're an educator promoting leftist ideals in the classroom, you may find yourself fired. But if you're a white person advocating for violence against Muslims, the trans community, or people of color, you may find yourself speaking at universities with a book deal from Simon & Schuster. People have talked a lot about the normalization of bigotry these last few weeks. We must counter any tolerance for white supremacist ideologies by normalizing a militant response. If you try to come to our communities openly advocating harm to us, our neighbors, family, friends, or others in our community, then you will be driven out. The broken windows in Berkeley were an act of self-defense. More than that, the shattered glass and canceled speech sends a clear message of solidarity to those targeted by Milo's bigotry. We will not sit idly by as you are dehumanized and targeted. Above all, we will not tolerate white supremacy in our communities. I feel like that's a good place to end here. Coming up next at Mutiny Radio is Women's Magazine with Global Val. And following that is the Common Thread Collective with Diamond Dave and Global Val as well. You're listening to Mutiny Radio. You can call in at 415-550-0511. There are shows here every day of the week. We also have open slots, so if you would like a show of your own, please do check us out at mutinyradio.fm. Power to the people is how I will end. Thank you so much for listening and for folks who have always been listening. Really appreciate that. Spread the word. Do what you can. There's a lot of ways to be active, whether you're a black block, whether you're spreading the word, whether you're helping out community, whether you're there supporting people, whether you're a medic, whether you're offering theta healing or Reiki healing, whether you're being there for communities or spreading actual information or offering law services to folks who are being detained or caring for people or trying to convince folks on the, on the opposition that what we're in for is, is really hurtful and damaging. There are a lot of ways to help. So I want to encourage folks to continue to help any way you can. Thank you. And, uh, we'll end with this song here. And, uh, this is an introduction. This is uh, Billy Bragg performing, waiting for the great, great leap forwards that I think many of us are all here waiting for. And uh, I'll just talk through the introduction because it's just an introduction. And uh, power to the people, power to the people, power to the people. Please welcome Billy Bragg. Billy! It might have been Camelot for Jack and Jacqueline. But on the Chai Guevara Highway, filling up with gasoline. With El Castro's brother spies, a rich lady who's crying. Over the luxury's disappointment, so he walks over and he's trying to sympathize with her. But he thinks that he should warn her that the third world is just around the corner. The Soviet Union, the scientist is blinded by the resumption of nuclear testing and 
he is reminded that Dr. Robert Oppenheimer's optimism fell at the first hurdle. In the cheese pavilion and the only noise I hear is the sound of someone stacking chairs and mopping up spilled beer and someone asking questions and basking in the lights of the 15 fine-filled minutes of the fanzine writer Mixing pop and politics He asks me what the use is I offer him embarrassment of my usual excuses while looking down the corridor out to where the van is waiting I'm looking for the great leap forwards I won't leap forwards two leaps back Will politics get me the sack Waiting for the great leap forwards If you've got a blacklist I want to be on it It's better than a Grammy with my name on it Waiting for the great leap forwards Understands, start your own revolution and cut out the middleman waiting for the great leap forwards. As Rusty proves, you have to be very careful. Those who burn books will later burn people waiting for the great leap forwards. It's all very well to say the 